Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today, we got a mega show. That's right. We got three different people, all from LightServe, Nailed Member. Love interviewing Nailed Members. But before we get there, we got to go back to the original Greg Eric Energy Focus, E N E R G Y F O C U S dot com, the original. What's going on with that? That's right. We're talking about their InFocus lighting control platform and their InFocus products. So those are LED tubes that actually have color tuning and dimming built into them. And you don't have to rewire the fixture. You can just bypass the ballast, cut that out, put these tubes in, change the control on the wall, easy, ready to roll. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Tuning in 2021 is like dimming in 1969. It's the same thing. And with Energy Focus... You got the wall switch right there with the tuning and the dimming right on it. So easy to use. Get it out there for your customers, folks. Go to energyfocus.com. That's right, the original. E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. And, of course, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Always coming out with great educational products. We have the number one podcast in the industry, Get a Grip on Lighting. And we have the number two podcast in the, in the industry, starving for darkness go to nail.org that's nail.org that's right get associated what are you waiting for but for right now we got kevin franklin bill hurd and jason bradford on the get a grip on lightning podcast what's up guys good morning hey, thanks for having us doing? whoa one at a time <laughs> everyone coming in hot at once <laughs> Woo! uh kevin uh you're the big dog chief executive officer president what do you guys got? What are you guys about these days? What do you guys got going on over at LightServe? You know, we, we continue to grow. Uh, we're focused on growth. Um, we've uh, we've kind of got a new uh, focus from that standpoint on being the uh, nation's number one trusted business partner. Um, and so we are are gotten our teams energized around that, focused around that, and uh, we got our strategies aligned to that. So we're we're excited for the growth we've had and and for the growth we have to come. You know, you're the first person I've ever seen that has come from the utility world into distribution. You worked at Duke Energy. I'm assuming that's an electrical utility? That's correct. What's that been like in terms of, I'm, uh, and again, another assumption that you guys are operating in the world of lighting rebates and helping your customers through those kinds of things. What's that transition like been going from the utility world into the distribution world? I often see people going from distribution to utilities. In fact, many of my employees that I trained now work at utilities. They got poached by recruiters from my company to go, instead of selling lighting, they're now they're talking about selling lighting <laughs> at utilities. What was the transition like the other way around? You know, I actually had, had multiple different roles when I was at Duke. The last one was the director of energy efficiency. So my uh, kind of foray into the into the business was actually from the rebate side initially. Um, I had responsibility for uh, the CNI programs across uh, the Duke Energy footprint. So we had a six state footprint, uh, and I had responsibility across the board for implementing those programs. So I grew from a program manager to a manager of a team to ultimately the director of the group. Um, so I, to me, I, I bring uh, I brought into the group a you know, operational understanding as far as kind of organizationally, uh, strategic and kind of leadership standpoint. And we, we like to say that we're pretty unique in the sense that, um, you know, we, we each bring between Bill, Jason and myself a very different skill set to the table that when you kind of connect them, we believe is unmatched in the industry. Bill and his experience in the lighting industry um, over the years and Jason from a financial standpoint, myself from more of an operation strategic standpoint, uh, you know, it took three of us, but we, we made a pretty good person out of it. In the utility world, do you guys joke about lighting distributors the way we joke about you guys? 
because we're always making funny <laughs> utilities all the time. You know, in the utility world, we're pretty boring, so we don't really know a whole lot of jokes. We don't get beyond those dad <laughs> jokes too much. That's funny. Bill, what's happening, brother? So former hey, president man. of Nailed. What, what year uh, were you president? I, I believe it was 2007. 2007, 2008. And that's when you were with Nova Lighting in Nova North Lighting, Carolina, South Carolina? Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, started that in 2000 and joined Nailed immediately after that, 2001. Got on the board. Uh, Nailed, obviously, is a different uh, association today than it was then because of the industry that we live in today, which is very different, right? You guys have done an amazing job transforming Nailed into the organization is today. You've kept up with kind of what the lighting world is all about more than just distribution of light bulbs as it was back in the early day. Um, and, and just to clarify, uh, we're more than, and I think Kevin and Jason will get into this, but we're more than just a distributor. You know, we do you know this, the, the world of lighting is in projects and it's in service and maintenance and the whole bit. And we do it from the cradle to the grave, basically, um, in all areas of lighting, not just distribution, because uh, that's where the that's where the action is. The paradigm has shifted for sure. And I think a lot of people have developed new business models, <clears throat> new business models since you were the president of Nail. But I got to know executive vice president of sales. Yeah, you do sales, business development and operations. I'm not surprised because I've known you for years, but what is a cust what's customer engineering? So, uh, f first of all, you know, and, and again, go back to, to, to Kevin. Uh, he'll he'll give you the uh, genesis of um, our company and kind of where we started and when we started and so forth. But we've had six or so acquisitions in in the last um, about one a year in the last eight nine years, and and uh, one of them was a company in Ohio most recently in December uh, called Alumatech and. Um, they had a division called customer engineering. So historically in the days of Nova Lighting and, and in fact, a lot of distributors today, the sales rep or the account manager does it all. They do the selling, they close the sale, they put the proposal together, they project manage a project, uh, they do the design, the whole bit. So with the acquisition of Illumitech back in December, what it afforded us was our salespeople can now just sell. So when they go close a uh, they go have an opportunity on a project or, you know, a customer opportunity with distribution, wherever it is, they can pass that off to the customer engineering group, which is in between sales and actually our operations division, which is the installation side. So they help the sales rep put a proposal together, get pricing, you know, warranty information, uh, do design work, uh, application design as well, and then kind of help the sales rep put, put it together. Sales rep presents it, closes it, and then it, once it's approved, it passes over to the operations team. Now the sales rep forgets about it. The install happens and they move on to the next opportunity. So it's really given us an opportunity to alleviate some of the day-to-day -day burdens of our account manager and our sales team so they can go out indeed and just focus on selling. And how, how do you feel as a, someone who's done that in the past, Bill? I know you're like me right now. What I do is I count it, I audit it, I put, enter right. it, I sell it, I manage it, you know, down the line. And so do all my reps here. How, how has that transition been on your end? Has it been well accepted? Well, like? for me personally, absolutely. And I think for the sales reps as well. I mean, for me, I'm at a different stage of life. I'm, I'm 60. And so I'm, I want to get to that place where I don't have to be in the weeds and be on a lift, you know, 30 foot in the air at midnight on a project, which, you know, we do, right? We did. Uh, I miss that. I, I still am engaged in the trenches. I think it's important that I don't forget 
what it's all about. So when I'm communicating or talking to a sales rep or coaching a sales rep, I'm, I kind of get a feel still. So I'm, I haven't removed myself completely, but um, it's nice to have the resources in our company that can help, you know, some of the minutia of a project. So we don't have to do it all from the cradle to the grave. But I do think it's a great place to start for an account manager or sales rep to do it all um, just so they understand exactly what happens from start to finish. How do you manage communicating that? Because I think a lot of information can get lost in that transition. It feels like to me in that transition, because I remember a lot, I write it down. And then for me then to have to communicate it for someone to take over, does, a lot, does information get lost? Issues with that? Issues with transferring a project from sales to customer engineering to operations you're talking? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it probably does happen from time to time. Uh, but for us, we've got a, We've got a, and again, Kevin and Jason will talk more about this. We got an amazing culture within the organization. We, we don't have silos. So even though we have a customer engineering division and a sales division and an operations division, we all work together as one. The, the synergies are great. So there's, you know, we get multiple eyes on projects. So typically, <clears throat> we don't see the issues of transferring of bad data. Um, it typically is very consistent. We got documentation. We've got a, a software home-based software program to project manage a project. So everything is in that where it's hard to um, to make a mistake. Uh, we document from day one all the way through the install and keep that data for, you know, forever. So we, we can go back and, and know exactly what we installed and how we installed it, who installed it and price points and the whole bit. You know, before we go, I want to go back into this customer engineering in a second, but I want to introduce uh, Jason Bradford to the listeners before we... We go on too long. It's already ten minutes into the show, and we haven't we haven't talked about money yet. So uh, let's let's talk some money. How does you know? You know, it's not often that somebody brings on their CFO onto the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Um, I know Greg and I once we uh, took over um, the management of Nailed. You know, finances became very important to us because you know it's a not for profit, member owned and funded organization, and so we needed a, you know a significantly higher level of you know, financial, I don't know what the word, visibility than we would have needed in our own businesses. What are you bringing to the table here, Jason, that's unique to LightServe? Yeah, I think Kevin touched on it earlier in that each one of us has our own unique experiences. And when you combine us all three together, it's um, it, it's it's a pretty, 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 uh, pretty cool group. Um, and I, with my background in banking uh, at Wells Fargo and Fifth Third, um, I think what I bring to the table is the ability to make transactions work. I mean, obviously, as Bill referenced, we've done six acquisitions since we bought the company in 2013. So to go from a million in sales in 2013 to a target of more than 100 million next year, obviously, there's some financial um, impact there from a cash flow management perspective, from a financing acquisitions perspective. And you know, with my contacts and experience in the banking world, I think, you know, in order to achieve those goals, that's something that um, we need to very much focus on. You guys added 10 million a year every year for 10 years in sales, like a, on average? That's right. That's ridiculous. Uh, oh, sorry. Over 50% revenue growth <laughs> since 2013, yeah. year over year. There, my hat's <laughs> off. Yeah. I, I like the hat better, Michael. <laughs> I don't like the shiny bald head, brother. Come on, man. Uh. Easy. That's hats off, brother. That's ridiculous growth. So hats off to you guys. That's that's actually Thanks. amazing. 
Um, Kevin, back to this customer engineering because I, I'm one that where, you know, I don't like baton passing. I, I eliminated the, the whole idea of a project manager and I deleted um, uh, the outside sales portion and hired an outside company to do lead generation and stuff like that. And then we take it from sales to project completion. Um, what's, how do you guys manage that engineering? Like, how do you look at it differently and how do you avoid the baton drop? Yeah, you know, it was, it was new to us as well, uh, to an extent when we, when we first purchased Illumitech, it was a, you know, a process that they had set up. Um, I, I think the one word that comes to mind for me and why it works is accountability. Um, each person in that group, each person in our project management group or operations group uh, truly have accountability to the customer and, and, and to making sure that at the end of the day, we provide the best possible service we can. Um, and when we do make mistakes that we make the we, we, we make them right. Um, and so, you know, the customer engineering and the sales team, from, from, from my view, that they really work lockstep together. In fact, um, it, it often gets to the point now where uh, once that once the lead is generated, once that first project is sold, oftentimes when the customer is interested in the next project and the next rollout, the first phone call is actually not to the salesperson. The first phone call is to the operations team. The first phone call may be to the project manager. The first phone call could be to uh, the customer engineering team because th there's an established relationship that, that that's there, that they've been with them lockstep and carried them through this process. And there's a trust that's been created. And I think the accountability is a big piece of that. Um, you know, our, our sales team is really focused. They're they're very equipped to go out and find new leads. Um, you know, they do it very well and, and we want them kind of focused on that. And if we can help them build the trust and the team members that we have, that they've got their best interest in mind, they've got the customer's best interest in mind, um, then we found a mix that really works. But I, I think for us, it's that accountability that's really made it work to this point. And we're going to have more questions on the processes, but before I get into that, I'm, I'm just looking at your timeline you guys have on your website saying when you purchase things, and uh, the companies and when you started. So Kevin and Jason, it both says you started in 2016, but somebody bought it in two th bought LightServe in 2013. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> you're you're looking at them, and... the three of us. Yeah. Yeah, so so the, the way this all started, uh, LightServe at the time was was primarily a maintenance provider. Uh, they had one customer, one kind of large regional customer, uh, and that's what they serviced. Um, the opportunity came up uh, for them to grow that business, uh, but they didn't have the and, and Jason hit on it didn't didn't have the cash flow, didn't have the credit to be able to take advantage of that. Um, and and the the through connections in the industry, they approached Bill. Um, you know, Bill believed in it, but at the time, uh, his partner uh, did not. Was, was not interested in a different stage of life. And Bill and I had gotten connected through through Duke Energy, and he was one of our, our big users of the energy efficiency program. Um, and he kind of reached out to me as a, a, you know, personally and said, you ever thought about owning a business? And uh, we decided to take advantage of it, uh, provide the necessary capital. And, you know, we, we had our ups and downs along the way, but, but Jason and I kind of maintained uh, our full-time positions uh, at the companies we were at, uh, Bill doing the same with, with Nova. And um, we really kind of managed it from the side. It was a, it was a group of five uh, employees. And, and for us at that point, it was an investment. Um, you know, we, as we grew and we found opportunities for moving from maintenance to service, as customers asked us, hey, can you put in LEDs for us? We're like, sure. Um, and we kind of asked ourselves, why don't we do this for someone else? Why, why are we just doing it for these two customers? Um, and we, we kind of acquired some books of business along the way. And then we started saying, why, why are we buying from distributors? We, we should just be a distributor. 
Um, and that was much easier said than done. So we bought a distributor. We bought Elite Lighting. Um, and when we bought Elite Lighting, it, it was it was it was very transformational. Um, you know, we went from you know eight to ten employees to over forty employees overnight, and a realization very quickly that we couldn't do this from the side anymore. If this was going to be successful, we had to live it, breathe it every day. Um, and so, you know, Jason and I kind of took that leap of faith with Bill's support uh, and moved over full time and really put all of our time, effort, and energy and focus on on growing it. Um, and have been successful over the years. We've, like I said, we've had our ups and downs. Um, and, and, you know, 2020 um, had a lot of challenges for, for, for many and for us as well, um, but it brought us a Lumatech uh, and it brought us a, a great team, um, a great platform, a great system uh, from, from their, you know, internally built art platform that we didn't have. Um, and I think it's really uh, positioned us to, to grow further into the future. You know, what, what's, what's interesting to me is, and I think, Bill, you'll probably be able to really relate to this, to this, and I know Greg will, and that's, there's a, there's a level in business where you learn how to borrow money and deploy it within a business model. And, you know, I, I don't think you could grow that way without financing. Um, Jason, tell me how important it is that, you know, the owner of the business or the management team really understand how to leverage and use capital to grow their businesses? Sure. Um, it's, it's probably, and maybe I'm biased, I think it's the lifeblood of the business. Obviously, for us to meet our hurdles of significant growth every year, you have to have access to capital. But if you, if you leverage capital in the wrong way and you deploy it um, in inefficient manners, it can also strangle you and cause you to go under. Um, so we've, we've put a, a prime focus in on keeping money in the business, right? As owners, we can easily take all the excess capital we generate every year out and fund our lifestyles, or we can continue to deploy it and grow for something larger, um, which I think we all collectively want to do. So um, making sure that we have great relationships with our bankers, um, the, the finance and accounting team, making sure that we're tied on collections and AR, um, it, it's, it's really important to make sure that, you know, understand AR is not cash. Um, you have to be prudent, you have to collect, um, and you have to redeploy in, in um, good investment opportunities. And, you know, that's where um, you know, Bill comes in and generates the, uh, all the sales that he does. And then Kevin, from a strategy operation standpoint, can help identify those strategic initiatives that we need to invest in. And it's my job to make sure that we have the capital to do that. And I told Bill and Kevin day one that if you come to me at some point in the future and want to invest in an opportunity, whether it's organic or strategic, and I can't fund it or I can't figure out a way to fund it, then I've failed you guys. And my promise to you is that if, if something is presented at some point in the future from a financial perspective, I will make it happen. And, and, and I take that, I take that every day with me and, you know, developing and furthering conversations with my banking contacts to make sure if another acquisition comes down the pike next year, two years, three years down the road, what have you, that we are able to make that happen. And I see from your, again, pulling from your website, your timeline has purchase of Illumitech in December, but then you have an announcement as of what, five days ago, you guys bought another one. Is that right? We did. <laughs> We did. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we had an opportunity. Uh, we, we got connected with an individual here in Charlotte a couple of years ago who decided to kind of make a foray into the lighting world. Uh, stayed connected with him, kind of helped advise him strategically along the way. Started more as a manufacturer. 
um, and and really kind of started to evolve based on the context that he had and and, and his focus. Um, and uh, recently, the he got to the point had had a team of about twelve. Um, that were kind of really full time engaged with with the company and and got to the point where um, you know he he was ready to move on to something else and and we had been close enough to him that uh, we had helped place some employees there um, and we approached him uh, understanding that he was really to kind of take a back seat and we felt strongly that uh, we were the best fit for him and best fit for his employees and um, he agreed and 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 the transaction came together pretty quickly so um, it was a, a very limited risk to us um, lots of upside. Uh, on our end, and we were able to bring in um, four just absolutely incredible people uh, into the organization to fill some gaps and holes that we had um, and uh, retain the owner and, and the past president's involvement in the company as well through a unique relationship and arrangement with them. So for us, it was a win-win. I think for the employees, it's been a win-win. And um, I think over time for the uh, past ownership, it'll be a win-win. Now, I haven't been involved in a lot of acquisitions. Bill, you have a number of different companies. How difficult is it taking the, the culture and, and I don't know who wants to answer this, but meshing it together from the accounting software, from the auditing software, everything that you do is a business. How do you get that put together and package up? So I'll, I'll just, you know, from, from experience and 30 years plus whatever, 35 in the industry, I've seen a lot of mergers. I've seen a lot of acquisitions and a good bit of them, 50% or more have failed. And I think primarily because of culture. And I think in, in speed of transition, they've tried to speed up integrating, you know, the, the buyer's systems into the, you know, the seller's systems too quickly. Um, culture wasn't a good match. And for us, and Kevin mentioned it earlier, you know, our vision statement basically, but we are all about culture. And so if we see an acquisition, um, that's an opportunity for us. Culture is number one. If the culture is not going to fit, I don't care how big they are, if the opportunity is huge, if it's too good to be true, we're going to walk away from it. And so from that, if you do that and you, if that, that's the genesis of your acquisition, then if that's the core, then 90% opportunity is going to succeed. And then you've got the nitty gritty day to day where you're integrating systems and we're finding that now with Illumitech because they were a substantially sized company, you know, from material, we have different systems, but we're doing it methodically. We're taking our time. You know, we got a year basically in place to transition to one piece or the other and not trying to do it all at once. And so if you combine those two, you know, strategic transitional items, integration combined with the right culture, you got the right players, um, it, it'll work. I think that, that it's interesting because in observing you guys and doing these podcasts and and talking to people about the growth of their business and, and these types of things. I find the two things that are the most difficult for an entrepreneur or a business owner to tackle would be the finances, which we just talked about with Jason, um, understanding those relationships with banks, what, what interest rates are appropriate based on risk, whether you can cover those costs and so on and so forth and not get buried, not to take too much capital out of the business, as you were saying, but also the human resources is a real tough nut man to, to especially when you're if you're a fish eating whale like you're the smaller company taking on a bigger company that can be that can be really dicey um who's in charge of that amongst you three uh, that would be me. Um, so we, we it, it, it's me indirectly. Um, we have a we have a team that we we've put together. Um, 
one of the things, and, and you mentioned it as, as, a, as a business that's growing, um, where do you place your investments? Um, you know, the capital that you have oftentimes is limited. Um, and so I'm not walking into a Duke Energy that's got a 1,000 person HR and training group and so on and so forth. And that, that that's a challenge and a struggle, you know, as you bring people on that, you know, they have computers, they feel welcome, we've trained them, we're bringing them through. I mean, it's, um, it's a challenge. And um, we were fortunate enough and, and we made an investment actually in December of last year prior to Illumitech uh, that we, we met an individual and he, he was talking to us about a project management, possibly sales role. Um, and I think we collectively looked at each other and said, we, we see something different in him. We see something more. Um, he, he probably is the most passionate person about people um, that I've ever met and, and I've ever personally been around. And so we actually created a role for him uh, called the Director of uh, Employee Engagement and Customer Experience. And his job and his team's job um, is really to focus in on uh, in the last four months has been defining what we want the culture to be, defining the mission statement, and the, the vision, the values, our purpose. Why are we here? Um, you know, the actions. And and now it's rolling that out and, and really making it all about the people. And so, you know, for us, we, we, we haven't always I think we've always believed we were that we, we our actions, I think, showed that. But we're never intentional about it. Um, and, and we've gotten much more intentional, much more focused with it, um, with adding Jonathan um, to the team which has been just a tremendous value. We, we did a survey, an employee engagement survey, the first one we ever did towards the end of last year. And I was shocked um, at how well it, it actually turned out. Um, I'd been part of these of, of, at Duke and Wachovia another place I'd worked. And oftentimes, if you can get to 60%, 70% people are happy, that's unbelievable. Um, and it, you know, we were 90 plus percent. Um, and we looked at ourselves and said, wow, we really haven't even done that much yet. And so um, the human piece is a big piece. We really are foundationally based on that it's all about the people. We've got to take care of our people first uh, and everything else will fall into place. And, and we've made the investment in actually creating a team that's focused on that now. Um, and we're starting to see some of the dividends of their work. I think I, I know the answer to this, but it might be a, a plug for nailed. Um, how do you train them in? The lighting industry. Bill, you want to take that one? How, how do you train them in? Yeah, how do you guys handle training new people into the lighting industry? I assume you're hiring new people. Yeah. It sounds like you are. Yeah. Well, so today we have 120 or so, Jason, right? 120 employees, and they're not all in sales. 107. And, it's, today it's 107? 107, okay. 107, yeah. So it's over 100 employees. So you've got accountants, you've got IT, you've got you know HR, you've got installers, you have engineering, uh, and you've got sales groups. So the training for, for all, we've got an onboarding, as Kevin mentioned, onboarding um, you know team and offboarding team, which you hope that's limited, of course. But from an onboarding perspective, based, based on the segment they come into the company and the training is different, obviously accounting is different than sales. So from my perspective, if I look at the front side of our business, the sales, marketing, customer engineering um, side, uh, a good number of the folks that come on board have a lot of experience. You know, folks like Doug Stoneman, who you guys may know in the past, a 30-year industry veteran, a Tim McCauley, who came from Sylvania, director of national accounts, 35-year veteran. So they don't require training except understanding the distribution side. As, as Michael alluded to earlier, manufacturing is very different than distribution and getting that mindset. But for us, we... One of the things I've done from day one, I'm a big believer in education. You know, I was involved in Nail early on when with the Paul Hapners of the world, and we, we created the, the LS1, LS2 program. So just about every one of our account managers have an LS1, LS2, 
um, LSC, a couple of them. Uh, we've got a number of LCs out there. So I promote LC, CLEP, CLMC, all the, you know, the AEE courses, the uh, Namco courses, um, I think is critical. Um, if, if, if somebody who's new to the industry doesn't even know who, what we're all about. I'll typically sit in a boardroom for, you know, a, a number of hours, a few days, and just kind of talk about how the industry operates. And as we all know, it's, it, there's a, 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 a special way to, to take it from the vendor to the end user. And it's so fragmented today. And to understand the whole agency model and the ESCO model, model and the installer model and the contractor model and understanding how that product gets to the end user and kind of where we fit in. So a lot of that's communication and then it's in the trenches and then getting the guys out there in the trenches on a job site, maybe on a lift uh, to see how a project goes from start to finish. So it, it, again, it, with the number of employees we have, it, it, each segment, each business division has its own onboarding training. But from my side on the front side, you know, it's more technical and more industry knowledge. And, uh, you know, we're members of associations beyond nailed. So we go to trade shows and things like that. And, you know, uh, so they learn a lot from classes there as well. Um, I, I, I want to hit on too. Just, just it's okay. I, I think we've talked a lot, and it's important. We've talked a lot about employees, but in the business that we're in as well, it, it, it's unique in that we have a lot of subcontractors, right? And and those individuals, and in, in someone, in some essence, become our employees, right? They're they're managing their their businesses, so we're we're, we're a business dealing with other small businesses, um, and and their success is our success. We we wouldn't be sitting here today without some of the partners that we have, um, and I think kind of tying in both from a training standpoint. Where we're, we're focused with them on helping them be trained, making sure they're safe, um, you know, having certain safety protocols in the place, but also on the financial side of what we say is treating them right. Um, you know, we've got a lot of large customers and especially as our project business grows that don't always pay on net 30 terms. You get net 45, net 60, so on and so forth. And so, you know, we've always been focused on, um, you know, we're going to pay our subcontractors net 30. We're going to find ways, um, you know, to make them successful and help them be successful. And quite honestly, one of the reasons uh, that, that we've went from 120 to 107 and actually just happened is because we had one of our uh, internal installation teams that decided they wanted to start their own small business and we supported that. Um, and so we, we kind of helped them and invest them to go out on their own and do that. Um, and when we've got two or three other cases where some of our best subcontractors actually used to be former employees, uh, they got the itch uh, to be an entrepreneur and move out on their own. And so I, I think that that's critical as well is that we, you know, we look at those subcontractors and we try to treat those subcontractors contractors just like that they were employees as far as you know training them and, and engaging them um, making sure they're safe making sure they return home just like they showed up at the job site those, those are things that are critical to us in addition to make sure financially we keep them sound you know what's interesting i was going to ask you um if you guys had a lot of subcontractors because you have some numbers that don't make sense um in lighting distribution uh, so i took the number of employees and i divided it by 100 million and that would be 833,000 a year per employee, which would be spectacular results per employee if you didn't have a whole bunch of subcontractors. So, because the, I, I would say a good lighting distribution company does a really good one, would do like 540,000, um, you know, uh, per employee. Um, and so 833,000 would be monster. I was going to ask, like, either you guys are ridiculously profitable because that's, those numbers are like electrical distribution numbers and electrical distribution is less profitable. So they, they sell a lot of copper and wire and stuff like that at 10 points. So it, it would have been an interesting number. I was going to ask if you had a lot of subcontractors. 
when you're saying you're supporting them, I also have um, on a smaller level. I have five um, ex subcontract ex employees that have started their own companies. There's no reservations about that. You're you're 100 happy to see them go. You don't a little bit like ah, you guys are gonna go on your own. You're gonna compete with us. Do they compete with you ever directly? Uh- uh, they don't. They haven't. Um, uh, you know, we, we've talked about that internally. Certainly always a topic for conversation. Um, I think our where, where we end back up on it is is if I can have one employee or two employees leave and start their own business and they can take a large account from me, I was doing something wrong to begin with. Um, that, that, that there's more to it than just a, a person, um, that there's an infrastructure that sets behind it. Uh, I mentioned before, we've got relationships from sales to customer engineering to operations with these customers. So our, we, we, we try to make sure that those, those, uh, those relationships run deep, um, as well. So is there the chance? Sure. Um, but, but ours have become the best and, and, and predominantly 95% of the work they do is through us. Um, and so it, it still looks like they look and feel like us. Um, they've just kind of went out on their own. So, um, it is a risk that's certainly out there, but but I think it's it's a risk we're willing to take to to help them be successful. There, there's you so, know Michael to ask to add to that you know <clears throat> there's enough competition out there uh, for us to worry about an employee trying to start up a a twelve man operation. It's just not something that we spend too much time on. You know mm-hmm. we're strategic when we you know have a departure. We're you know we have a relationship. The people we bring on board are pretty good solid valued people. So when they go out looking to do something on their own, um, it's for them. And we don't want to stand in the way from any of our employees if they have an opportunity out there to do something different. Uh, and, and we have found, we've been fortunate enough that uh, most of these folks are, are looking after us on the outside, looking in because they know where they're, you know, kind of we've created in-house. So I think they've carried that outside. And as Kevin mentioned, most of the work they do is through us but they're benefiting being an entrepreneur and we encourage that and we're fine with that. We're not intimidated or feel vulnerable. I mean, we're 107 employees and X millions of dollars worth of, of business and to, to worry about a, a guy going out being a labor partner, it's just not something we, we're, we're, we're all about. Now you guys have locations in the Carolinas and Ohio. Do you have any other locations? Is that where they're at right now? We do not. Nope, that's it. So we have two in Charlotte, uh, one in South Carolina, one in Raleigh, and then, uh, yeah, the one in uh, Ohio. From a brick and mortar perspective, but yeah, that's our locations for brick and mortar. We got people, you know, living Alabama, Tennessee, out west, uh, and and many other places that represent the company. Who's your primary, do you have a primary customer or industry segment that you work with, or are you guys all across the board? That's one of the good things about where we are today is diversification of our services and offerings, um, product and, and services. We really are not heavily weighted in one segment. We do, with the acquisition of Lumitech, we do a lot of retail national account, a lot of national account rollouts, and all the way down to a, a church renovation and a sanctuary, uh, which is challenging to hospitals, to manufacturing, distribution, commercial property type customers, to NFL stadiums. Um, so we really are across the board, well diversified, not only from a product offering and a service offering, you know, we do maintenance, we do service, both in electrical and lighting, we do distributions, we buy direct from vendors, which is critical, where we can control pricing, we can control defectives and warranties after the fact, we don't have to count on somebody in the middle, right, uh, which makes it difficult and challenging, and then we can, you know, do the project side. So really, if we, if we garner customers' um, faith and trust, 
from a distribution side and or a maintenance or service side, then we have the first opportunity, firsthand look at maybe a project. And so it kind of goes back to the question that Michael asked earlier about 800 and something thousand dollars per employee. If you look at a traditional distributor, you know, 500, 400 number may work. But when you're looking at adding projects and service and maintenance, which is a larger order size and perhaps more margins, because there is more risks, right? When you're doing installations and service and maintenance, that's probably where our number is a little higher. If somebody were going to ask you to identify as a certain business type, you know, the traditional model, which has shifted, as we know, uh, distributor, contractor, maintenance, what, what, what do you guys say you are? That's that's a that's a tough one. Like you know, Kevin, Jason, how would you describe that? Uh, Jason's the, the the you know from 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 an outsider finance coming into this industry. It'd be really interesting to see his answer. But it's uh, it's it's a nice place to be in an answer. But I'd like to see how uh, what what Jason would say about that. Um, I think we're very unique, right? Um, and the way, at least from a finance perspective, yeah, I like to see sticky recurring revenue. Um, and, and a diversified business model. So I think for us, um, to Bill's point, we're, you know, we're very diversified service maintenance, very sticky revenue distribution, more sticky project, project business, less sticky. But um, I, I, I don't know if there's like a, if, if I describe us in any one of those three silos, we're just kind of a, a unique animal yeah. um, in that we service all three different lines of business. And to, to that point, we're always looking at, you know, other diversified line of business opportunities. Um, we're, we're obviously not trying to over diversify where we become masters of none because then you just, um, th then you lose your, um, your, your competitive advantage. But, you know, for us, it's, you know, always trying to stay diversified. So if, um, God forbid something like last year ever happens again, you're not totally tied to one specific industry or line of business to where you get whipsawed out of business. Probably not a great yeah. answer, Bill. No, no I mean, that's a, that's a, that's, yeah, it's, it's a great answer. And, and to his point, it's diversification um, is critical. And that's where the market is today. If you know, you, you if you look at the traditional lighting uh, players out there in the 80s and 90s and 2000s that just basically sold, you know, um, turned inventory. You know, that, that model doesn't work today. I mean, because of the LED space, it just does not. You know, the, the risk in stocking an LED product is tough because a lot of uh, opportunities, applications out there are custom built. So we're watching our, what we inventory, talking about finances and cash flow, how much dollars we put in an inventory. We're trying to be smart there as well. But it's it, it's just a uh, it's a unique place, as Jason said, that we can, you know, people refer us as an ESCO. They refer us as a contractor. They look at us as a distributor. And that's fine because we do it all. I mean, we're licensed in multiple states. We kind of separate the distribution from the service maintenance and projects. But in today's world, it's all about 75% of the opportunities out there in this industry and the dollars are on the project side customer's not going to go into their building and change one fixture out to an LED. They're going to change the entire building and they're going to need some help with that from an audit to a design to collecting rebates to tax deductions. So we, we can talk all of that and make them feel comfortable where they can ring basically one neck, cut one in one PO, cut one invoice. So you know, even doing our projects um, after the fact, we can tie in finance if need be, or we can tie in maintenance or service. Um, 
and kind of keep that customer in the fold for a number of years after an install. So to answer your question, it's a difficult, and again, I, Kevin will add in, but it's a very difficult question because we do it, it sounds arrogant, don't mean it that way, but we do with the size of our company today and the acquisitions we had from maintenance to distribution to projects, uh, you know, to operations, it, we're so well diversified to basically handle any lighting need out there, regardless of what it is. It's interesting. The safest place, it seems, during this whole chaotic last 10 years with um, what I call Johnny Come Lately and the Lighting Marauders, which is, you know, all manner of different people entering the business and, um, you know, bringing, you know, you know, in 2016 with 50,000 bucks, you could fly over to Shanghai and come back a lighting manufacturer, you know, six weeks later and uh, have DLC approval on all your stuff. It, it, it was pretty much that simple. But I think that was a very risky place. Um, and I think distribution, maintenance, and projects was a safer place to be where you picked the manufacturer, you dealt with people that you knew were good, and you would know that from Nail uh, Bill, and obviously in LightServe, you guys have learned that. So it's interesting how there's a lot of chaos and acquisitions and uh, people abandoning the business uh, at that top level uh, of the industry in the traditional paradigm. And, but there seems to be strength in the distribution area and in the, um, in the contracting area. You talk to guys at Nalmco and, and they're doing fine. And, they, and a lot of people weather the, it seems to be weathering the pandemic better as well. So it's interesting that you guys are diversified into all in multiple areas. Um, do you guys have your own software system that you run? Have you guys developed your own software? Do you run multiple softwares for those different divisions? How does all that work? And who should answer that question, Kevin? <laughs> I'll take that one. Kevin. Um, we do. So, yeah, <laughs> we um, historically we did not. Uh, and that was one of the uh, attractiveness uh, of, of Illumitech and, and our opportunity to to acquire them is that they actually have an internally built system. Uh, they, they've named it ARC. Um, but the system is built for what we do. And, and we've yet to find a system uh, as we looked for one that was built for what we did. Uh, and what we do. So um, the system uh, has kind of three different interfaces to it, which, which is unique. Um, it interfaces internally, meaning uh, our sales team, our operations team, our customer engineering team uh, have documentation, uh, references uh, that are stored in the system. Uh, that uh, they can cut POs out of the system, uh, job profitabilities out of the system. Uh, so it really creates a nice workflow, whether it's for service and maintenance and work orders that are coming in, going out, um, or whether it's for, for projects or distribution. Uh, the second interface actually interfaces with uh, customers. So there's actually a customer portal. So a customer can actually log into the system on their end, um, and they can actually get updates um, as to what's going on with the project. Um, so historically on our projects, we'll send a customer an update you know, every night, every week, whatever, you know, that timeline needs to be. Uh, but this lets them self-fulfill that, uh, which is a really cool uh, uh, and, and unique uh, aspect to it. And then the third one uh, actually is with our subcontractors. So our subcontractors actually have a mobile app. So instead of just having to mail in pictures of things being done and mail in work orders, they actually can take pictures while they're there and they actually upload into the system. Uh, and our teams on the back end are getting them real time. So uh, it's a unique system. It's something we're excited about. We actually have our own development team that works on it and is continuing to enhance it. And so um, it's something that um, I think has helped make um, Illumitech more efficient and successful and something that we're really excited about to, to leverage on the LightServe side and, and, and in a broader array. So you guys are obviously excited about the future of lighting. 
You're buying companies. Why, why the excitement? What do you see? $600 billion space. And it kind of goes back to what Michael said um, a few years back. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry is trying to get into this business. It's a low-hanging fruit. And we're seeing today, a COVID. I look at COVID the year of 2020 as a correction year. It eliminated a, a number of folks who just couldn't sustain to stay in the business. They don't have the money for R&D defectives. Um, they tried to come in and out. Uh, that's why we've tried to stay true internally at Light, LightServe. And I think it's one of the reasons why we've been successful is to kind of stay with the major players out there, the major nailed players, the major vendors who will be here down the road. Uh, you know, we're not going to be um, vulnerable or um, excited about a low price product. You know, we're going to we're going to do it strategically and it's worked in our benefit for sure, because I know these a lot of players are going to be weeded out, you know, whether they're contractors, you know, vendors who are trying to jump in the market, they're just not going to be able to make it long term. And so when you look at that and you look at folks, you know, companies like us, you know, we're growing organically, not just through acquisition, we're growing organically by, you know, our salespeople calling on different markets, growing through acquisition, and it's going to continue because, again, you're looking at, I mentioned earlier, this enormous lighting space we live in, and based on the industry segment, 12 to 15 percent of the sockets have been converted. So in my lifetime, certainly, and probably even Kevin and Jason, they're 20, 20 years younger, um, are going to live in a pretty healthy space. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool because I kind of mentioned it earlier, we've got a 107 employees, right? And we've got a lot of a lot of folks on board that have never been in the lighting space. And we know it who've been in the space for a long time. You know, once you get in this industry, you don't leave. You know, none of us went to college thinking I want to sell a light bulb for a living. Isn't that the truth? But we got in it. Yeah, I mean, we got in it for an odd reason, but we all love it. It's just an amazing industry. It's exciting. It's ever changing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of opportunities out there to grow. And if you have, and I do, partners like Kevin and Jason, um, the commitment is there to take advantage of those opportunities to grow and, 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 and to take care of our employees, which is first and foremost. You got to watch out for Johnny come lately in the lighting marauders, Bill. They're out there yep. continually coming in. They're in, they're out. They love the 10 year warranty. They, uh, the, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, and they're out there. They're all over Toronto. Anyway, where I am, there's, there's just, I, I think I took Greg for a drive. Um, there's 32 LED lighting stores within walking distance of my office that have come up in the last seven years and LED only. Johnny come lately on the lighting marauders. Yep. He's hot. But Greg, we want to thank Kevin, Bill, and Jason for coming on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast and sharing all this wonderful information about LightServe and your growth and spectacular hats off growth to you guys. Any final thoughts, Kevin? I'll let the CEO um, finish it up here. Any final thoughts here for the listeners? Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, we appreciate you having us. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to tell the LightServe story. We often said that uh, we thought we were the, uh, the best unknown company around, um, and, and we had a commitment to change that. Uh, and we believe we're changing that the right way, and we're going about it the right way. So um, we appreciate it. You know, we, we, we give the credit, um, quite honestly, is not the three people that you're talking to. It's the 107 that work for us and that have been with us, um, and, and the subcontractors that support us and our customers that have support us along the way so you know the credit is, is really all due to them and the success is due to them and that's something that doesn't um, go unnoticed by us so uh, we're mere representatives 
of them uh, in, in this. And uh, we, we just hope to kind of represent them, you know, and, and do them justice and, and uh, help them be successful. So uh, our hats off are to them. Um, and, and we look forward to kind of continuing to, to work with them and continue to grow collectively. And I'm saying right now, I hope all 107 of them are enrolled in LS Evolve, which is an amazing extension on LS1. Um, and it's created by experts. It's five-minute hot blasts, as Greg, is, Greg and I call them, on a specific technology, on a specific application. Dr. Mark Ray's in there. We got John Davenport. We got um, Fred Van Lierop, if you want to know anything about UVC, and tons of different stuff in there. So check out LS Evolve, folks. But before we go, we got to talk about the original Greg energyfocus.com that's e-n-e-r-g-y-f-o-c-u-s.com the original you heard it from bill here there's a lot of sockets left to retrofit and then focus is a nice easy play that you can just take out the fluorescent tube put a new led tube in that's color tuning and dimmable with the wall control no rewiring needed easy to go and folks forget about the circadian hcl that's a whole different play tuning and human-centric lighting are two different things. Tuning is about choice. Human-centric lighting is about prescription. You don't get to choose human-centric lighting. It's You're told what to get, okay? But tuning is about choice, just like dimming is about choice. And tuning is to 2021 what dimming was to 1969. That's right. Go energyfocus.com. They got the wall tuner and dimmer all in one for you folks. E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. And if you haven't joined Nailed by now, then it's your problem. Go to NAILD.org, LS1, LS2, the two top podcasts in the industry. We got open letters going out. We're driving the dark sky issue to the front of this industry. And before I go, you got to check out starvingfordarkness.com. Remember, this industry is going to start selling darkness. Just like you sold light, we're going to start selling darkness. Darkness is going to be a commodity that the industry provides to people. And if you're thinking about human-centric lighting and you're not including natural darkness, you don't know anything about human-centric lighting because it's all a waste if you don't restore natural darkness at the end of the day. Folks, I know I'm speaking on behalf of everyone here. Thank you for listening. We love you guys. Go to nail.org right now. Quick. Bye for now.